Good morning, church. I'm Lisa, and this is Eleanor. We have the privilege and honor to read the scripture this morning. So please pay attention to the reading of the word. Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. All this of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as, is, as indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing, as it is also does among you, since the day you heard, heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love and spirit. Please now pay attention to the preaching of the word. Thank you. Thanks be to God. Thank you to Lisa and to Nora. It is always a privilege. I'm excited to start this new sermon series. A short, but of course packed gospel book called The Letter to the Colossians. A church whom Apostle Paul himself had never seen in person. And yet a letter that has so much for our church, especially in this season. Well, abounding in thanksgiving, we always thank God when we pray for you. Verse 12, which we did not read. And then we want you, O Colossian church, to give thanks to God as well. So giving thanks, thanksgiving. This is what filled the writings, the words, the expressions, the thoughts, the feelings, and the prayer life of Apostle Paul. Verse 3 again, always we give thanks for you. Verse 12, Colossians, I hope you can always give thanks. To the Philippian church, quote, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And then recently we just finished this sermon series through 2 Corinthians. There were two letters to the Corinthian church. Well, that Corinthian church was the most dysfunctional one. It was divided, it was destructive, it was scandalous, it had a horrible reputation. And in fact, that church was hurting Paul to his face and behind his back. Even to that church, he begins those letters with, I give thanks to my God always for you. Now, what produced that kind of thanksgiving? What made Paul so thankful? Oh, we see it here. It's because, we read it in verse 5 and 6, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you heard the word of truth, you received it, you responded to it. So the gospel of Jesus Christ being revealed, reaching people, and being received by those in the audience was Paul's number one reason for thanksgiving. Of all of Paul's letters, the only letter that does not start with a note of thanks, just pumping out of his heart and pumping out of his veins, is to the Galatians. Rather, Paul is incensed. He is really upset. And that's because the Galatian church had deserted the gospel. They had distorted the gospel. They fell for a different gospel. Oh, and be assured, my friends, 
There are many, many different gospels today, even within the church. But back to Paul with the Colossian church, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel being revealed, the gospel being received. This is why Paul was thankful. Now, please do not skip over these terms. I know we skip them over just lightly. Paul says, I give thanks for you always. Like throughout all his letters, he uses these superlative, like all-timer words, always. He says, I never cease. Now, how do we grasp and appreciate the marvel of Apostle Paul always being thankful? Like, really? Is that a rhetorical advice? You know, people just embellish, exaggerate things. Are you and I always thankful? How is it that he can say, I never cease, and every time I think about you and pray for you, I am filled with thanks. Well, Paul explains. Verses 5 and 6, here it reads, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Notice how Apostle Paul says, you heard it, you received it, you responded to the gospel, but now, quote, it's bearing fruit and increasing. Oh, there it is, the title, the whole theme of this message, increasing. You see, the gospel continues to increase. The gospel is the most organic, explosive, supernatural thing in all the world and the gospel just continues to grow and increase. And if the gospel continually increases, this is the reason why Paul could be continually thankful. The gospel of Jesus Christ was Paul's main reason for thanksgiving, to be sure. But the continual increase, you see, the continual growth, the explosion of the gospel was the reason for Paul's continual thanksgiving. How did the gospel of Jesus Christ increase in Paul's day, and how does it continue today, right here at CCSC? At least in two main ways, just two main ways we'll unpack. Number one, it's increasing in the whole world, Paul says, as it also does, number two, among you. There it is. It increases in the whole world, and then increases among you. Let's go in reverse order. Let's just look at how the gospel increases among you. Sonny and I, again, just can't get over it, just stunned, empty nesting. Our girls are so big, and they've matured in so many different ways. But I don't ever recall at their young, growing stages that I looked at them at a new year and said, Taylor Elizabeth, by next year, I know you're this tall, but by next year, you better be this. Uh, to be sure, businesses, organizations, churches, you need goals, plans, projections. Oh, absolutely. But for parents, I don't ever remember telling my girls, if you're this tall this year by next year, you better grow by three inches. You better hit this mark. I think parents are much more preoccupied with, you just got to make sure to feed them. Feed them good food. You got to make sure that they get proper recreation and exercise and rest and sleep. Parents need to protect them. Parents need to guide them. Parents need to make sure that they're getting over a lot of stress or challenges or hardships. 
Parents ought to pray for them. And of course, parents need to be good examples of becoming a healthy, growing person. And as long as you just pay attention to that, by the grace of God, most likely, your kids grow. Here's Apostle Paul's point in this letter as he starts. You heard the word of the truth, the gospel. You see, this thing, the gospel. In the gospel and all of its influences, implications, applications, in that seedbed is all the nutrients and resources that Christian people ever need to grow healthy by the Holy Spirit of God. You don't move away from that soil. You don't move away from that origin. You don't move away from that foundation. It's the A to the Z in the Christian growth alphabet. It's your start and your finish. And so when churches pay attention to, we need to provide, feed, pray, exemplify, live it out. This is all the things that a church needs. Any Christian really needs to grow up fully healthy by the Holy Spirit. And there are three telltale signs that Paul lists out that the gospel is increasing among you. Three telltale signs, just at least three telltale signs that the gospel is growing in your life. They are faith, hope, and love. First, faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ, if it is increasing in you, will increase your faith in a substitute savior and decrease your faith in yourself. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is really growing, blowing up in your life, taking over your life, it will strengthen faith in a substitute savior, in his love, his faithfulness, his works, who he is for you, and less and less and less in your love, your faithfulness, your works, and who you are to yourself. Let me give you an example of how faith shows up right here in worship service. If you had an awful, awful last week, I mean, like, relatively speaking, like, you, you just, it was a mess. Like, you sinned a lot. You just escaped and ran into a lot of old patterns. You were stressed out. You lost. You're disappointed at work. You had a lot of conflicts and fights with your loved ones at home. You barely dragged yourself here, here at the worship service of God. How do you feel right now? After you've had one of the worst weeks that you could remember, how do you feel? Now, here's what the gospel can do for you right now. The gospel can make you hopeful even after one of the worst weeks you've ever had. The gospel strengthens and buoys your faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for you, not your past week's performance. Some of you today feel awfully like close to God, like you're really into singing today. You're really, really like feel it, like you feel the vibe of worship service. I think that's a few of you. And maybe that's because you had such a very good week. You relatively didn't do a lot of bad things. You had no disappointments. You had no sorrows. You feel really, really energetic and healthy and happy today. And so you're kind of into worship service of God. Can I suggest something else to you? Do you know what the gospel does? If the gospel is increasing in your life, the gospel will humble you even after the best of weeks. What does the gospel increase? What does the gospel produce? Faith. Faith in him, not in you. Second, hope. 
Hope. Hope laid up for you in heaven. Christian people are not dominated. You do not have to be crushed or despairing in your present or your past. There is so much better up ahead that God has in store for you. God has treasures that are imperishable, that no one can steal. They cannot be corrupted. They cannot be taken out of your account. Hope. What does the gospel do when it increases in your life? Increases faith. It increases hope. Last but not least, love. Love. According to Apostle Paul, this is the most repeated, beautiful demonstration that the gospel is alive and well and growing in you. It is the crown jewel. It doesn't matter how skilled or gifted or strategic or smart or how wealthy and how generous and how serving, how many things you have labored for the church, how many words you can say. None of it really matters at the end of the day. According to the Apostle Paul, the greatest gift of all is did you love people from the heart? Without love, it's vanity and useless. The Bible goes on to say, do you love people fervently from the heart? Do you love people sacrificially? It says love for all the saints, all the saints. Notice that. That means not just people you naturally vibe with, not just people you naturally have same similar hobbies or interests, people actually that you may not normally get along with, do you practice and demonstrate love for them? Maybe even those who have hurt you. Love your enemies. How do you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is increasing among you? Is there an increase of love? First Peter says, love covers over a multitude of sins. Do you know what that means? When you're increasing in love, you are less, less prone to point out insignificant small things. You're able to actually move past it. You do the work to move past it out of the sake of love for others. Now, to be sure, this love is not soft but strong. It's not sentimental. It's truthful. Love of God is actually not hurt in conflict, avoiding but confronting and healing. But how does the gospel increase and grow among you, my friends? How do you really know that the gospel is working in your life? More faith, more hope, more love. Second way that it increases, just the second main way. Not only does the gospel increase among you, but then Paul goes back, we went in reverse order. It says, it's growing in the whole world. Now, you see, here's what the gospel does. <clears throat> if you let it do its work. The gospel affects and reconciles and heals the whole of our lives. Physical, mental, spiritual, psychological, relational, financial, sexual, business, your recreations. That's what the gospel does. It brings it all together in its perfect, beautiful perfection so that you would look and live like Jesus Christ. But also that same gospel is increasing, growing in the whole world. The gospel deepens and widens. The gospel is contagious. The gospel is irresistible. The gospel cannot be contained. 
the gospel increases, not only among you, but in the whole world. Something very interesting is taking place as Paul describes the increasing gospel. Look at verse 4 again. Verse 4, it reads, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So Paul and someone else evidently heard about the Colossians coming to faith in Jesus. Then in verse 6, I'm going to just jump down to the second half of that, okay? Whole world bearing fruit increasing as it also does among you. Notice the second half. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. So verse 4, Apostle Paul says, we heard of your faith, the Colossians' faith in Jesus. Then in verse 6, you, the Colossians, you heard the gospel and you responded to it. You received it with faith. <clears throat> you understood it. Now, what did hearing about the Colossians' conversion produce in Apostle Paul? Verse 3 again, I always give thanks for you. Now, what reaction would the conversion of the, of the Colossians, when the Colossians in verse 6 first heard of the gospel, what, what do you think it produced in them? Of course, it's all the way throughout the letter, especially in verse 12. I pray and know that you are giving thanks. So, Paul heard about the conversion of the Colossians. It produced thanksgiving. Verse 6, Colossians heard the gospel they were converted, and then that produced thanksgiving. In some sense, Paul's reaction is equal to or parallel to the reaction of the Colossians when they first saw the gospel on their conversion. This parallelism is reinforced in verses 7 through 8, as Lisa read, a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras links both parties. Who did the Colossians hear the gospel from? Epaphras. Verse 4, who did Paul hear about the Colossians' conversion from? Epaphras. Epaphras was the missionary evangelist who spread the gospel to the Colossian church. Epaphras came back to Apostle Paul and told him a missions report about the Colossians' conversion. Here's my question as I try to bring those two threads together. How is Paul's response in hearing of the Colossians' conversion equal to the response of the Colossians when they first heard the gospel. How is it, can they be paralleled? Can we, we basically say it's the same thing? And I assure you, we can say they were equal and it was like the same thing. And here's my explanation of why they can be paralleled in this way. When Paul heard about the Colossians converting to the word of the truth in the gospel. My explanation is, and I think it's really, I don't know any other explanation that really makes sense. Paul relives the gospel. Paul was reliving the gospel. When he's hearing about people receiving and responding to the gospel, he must have replayed, he must have rehearsed, he must have retold in his own heart how on that day when he was terrorizing, imprisoning, hating, ridiculing, persecuting these people who followed Jesus Christ as risen from the dead, that he is the way. He was the arch self-righteous terrorist and persecutor. But on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, while Paul was dead set in his self-righteous zeal, he thought he was right. He thought he was religiously right. In that journey 
the risen Lord, Christ Jesus himself, appeared to him and did not destroy him. The risen Lord, whom he had personally been terrorizing and attacking by attacking his people, did not persecute him back, but actually loved him, forgave him, called him, and commissioned him with the whole new mission in life. And here's what happened to Paul on the day of his conversion in Acts chapter 9. In summary, Jesus told Paul, from now on, I'm going to take your life, and I'm going to use your entire life so that the gospel would increase in you and in the whole world. And when Paul is hearing about Colossians coming to faith, somewhere else in that foreign city, he must have been reliving how Jesus had brought him to saving faith. We have so many remarkable missionaries and agencies that we support. It's one of the best things CCSE will ever do. I remember going out to a certain part of Asia several years, a mission movement that blew up after a woman lost her husband, a daughter lost her dad, martyred on the field. And that was a vibrant, powerful, gospel-increasing movement. Just past winter, with Daniel Pak and Jung, one location was Singapore. I didn't know that their first year that he taught at Singapore Bible College, he didn't get paid. He didn't get paid. I don't know if there's labor laws there. I don't know if there's a contract. He didn't get paid, but they chose to stay. The second stop, which is another part of Southeast Asia, we visited because they lost a 20-something-year-old team member last year. And the missionary there, she sends me these poignant, sweet songs over cacao, even this week, that were born out of the loss and the sorrow of a team member dying on the field. We have missionaries from Paraguay, decades old, who've gone through all kinds of illness and challenges, who are here for a break. We love them for life. I could go on and on and on and on and on about what missionaries are doing overseas because they're really all about the growth and the increase of the gospel. But here's a question. Why would you stay? Why would you do that? Why would, what would carry you through all the challenges and the setbacks and the hardships? I assure you, when you're part of the increase or the growth of the gospel, you get to relive the gospel for yourself. And how sweet and enlivening that is. Like nothing else you could imagine. Paul never got over the gospel. He never moved past it. How did he do that? And how can you? Thomas Merton. Catholic, mystic, yes. But we can learn from all. Here's what he once observed. The love of God can only be kept by being given away. Thomas Merton, the love of God can only be kept by being given away. Let me apply that to this, this passage. If you want to really grow in the gospel, if you want to grow in the increase of the gospel, you have to give it away for it to grow in others. My friends, there's no way you can grow in the increasing gospel if you don't give way and make sure that it increases and grows in all the world. 
until your home, your finances, your time, your family, your job, your gifts, your energies get somehow wrapped up and funneled toward the continual increase of the gospel, you and I won't actually really grow that much in the gospel. Because what we learned at the outset is that the gospel of Jesus Christ being revealed and received was Paul's reason for thanksgiving. But then the continual increase of the gospel is the reason for Paul's continual thanksgiving. Well then, my friends, the reverse is painfully true too then, isn't it? The reverse is true. If you and I aren't part of the continual increase or growth of the gospel... And so many Christians today, oh, I know it, my heart feels for you. You're bored, you're sluggish, you feel purposeless, you feel stifled, you feel like nothing is happening, there's nothing exciting or dynamic about it. You really don't feel like you're growing at all. Can I suggest something to you? That if you're not part of the gospel's increase among us and around the whole world, that's where thanksgiving goes to die. That's where joy goes to die. That's where vitality and growth dies. Oh, but Apostle Paul who says, I know how the gospel increases among you and is increasing around the whole world. The whole world. Literally and eternally dying without the gospel. But Christian people know someone who died for them to be a part of that increase in growth is how Thanksgiving continues to grow. You know, I cut and pasted this uh, literally from 10 years ago, I found it, about 10 years ago. We were in Vancouver, I don't know if it's just a family vacation at points or it was a conference uh, at a pretty nice hotel in Vancouver and I went into the hot tub, sat down in the hot tub and a distinguished man, you know, olive skin, kind of that silky white hair, looked like almost a character straight out of Mad Men, sat down in the hot tub next to me. And he was so friendly, conversational. We started getting into a little bit of conversation, and then he pops me the question, so what do you do? What do you do? Uh, I don't mind being asked that question except when I'm in a hot tub. What do you do for a living? And I sheepishly said... I'm a pastor. <laughs> he looks stunned. He looks shocked. You're a pastor? I am. And then he turns around and says, well, I respect that. Youth these days, they need a lot of teaching on values and morality. I respect that. And I responded by saying something like, I agree, values and morality are very important, but... If there is a God, and we assume God is perfect, my morality is far from perfect. It's not going to be enough. And the older man came back and responded, what do you mean by that? He was leaning in. He was interested. And I lobbed him this loaded question. Do you want to know why I became a Christian, let alone a pastor? And he said, I do. And I was able to share the gospel of somebody else who makes me undeservedly righteous and perfect in his sight, not based upon my values or morality, 
but because of his. And I was getting out of the hot tub, back then about 10 or 11 years old, Taylor was in the pool, staring at me the whole time. And as she came over to me, the man went up to his suite or hotel room. Taylor goes, Dad, Dad, what were you doing? Were you preaching in the hot tub? (laughs) And I said, I was, Taylor. You're weird, Dad. She just walked away. (laughs) You're weird, Dad. But can I tell you something, my friends? I know very few things that would enliven you more, that would make your heart move more, that would renew and revitalize you more, and that would make you relive what Jesus has done for you than for you and I to be a part of the gospel's increase. The gospel's increase. Your life is not about your wealth increasing, about your approval increasing, about health increasing, about all the fun increasing, about notoriety increasing. Do you know all those things won't? They'll all come to a dead end. But the gospel will for all of its days until all the nations come and gather. And for you and I in CCSE to be a part of that, some way, somehow, be a part of the growth and increase of the gospel among us and around the whole world, this is how thanksgiving abounds. This is how joy erupts. And this is how the Holy Spirit loves to use his people until he comes back again. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this word today. As we begin this series in the book of Colossians, I pray that the word of truth, the gospel, would be revealed and received by new friends, even now, and I pray that this gospel will continue to increase without hindrance, without hindrance, without forgetfulness, oh God, without distraction, among us and around the world. Lord, to that end, bless us, empower us, call and move us again for the gospel's increase. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.